0: Ecclesiastes chapter number 9, verse number 10 will be our text for the morning. I'm going to use this one simple verse. The Holy Spirit is the inspiration. Solomon is the penman. Through the inspiring movement of the Holy Spirit, according to the Scriptures, the wisest man who has ever lived on the top side of this planet, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, said, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, whatever it is, whatever God gives you, whatever God leads you to do, each and every single day, no matter what it is, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Right now is the time. Today is what we have. Do we have this evening? I don't know. Do we have tomorrow? I don't know. Do we have next year? I don't know. The vote may be in vain. Jesus may be coming back before them either way. I I don't know. Here's what I do know. When the trumpet sounds and Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, steps out onto the portal and calls home his children, I want to be found I want to be found faithful. I don't want to be found out as a slothful, because God has a lot to say about sloth yes, and the lazy. I just want to be found doing what it is that God wants us to do. I want to bring a message this morning. It's entitled "Living Life on Purpose." God, thank you so much. Thank you for this precious book, God, that you've given us, not just to read, not just to answer all of our questions and touch our heart and change our lives, but this book that we have that we can share with others, God. Lord, this love story of how you loved us so much that Christ came and made a difference and paid a price. God, you've given your life. You gave your son, Lord Jesus, you gave your life. He did it all for us, Father pray you'd help us to live our life pleasing to you. I pray you'd move in this place this morning. I pray your sweet Holy Spirit would do what only you can do. Speak to every heart in this place through one message that each of us might hear what we need to hear on this day. We love you, God. May all we do be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let me just go ahead and answer the question for those of you that think, well, I think I've heard that message before. Well, no, you haven't. But you've heard that title before. Um, I've used this title. the third time. I used it in January of 22. I used it again in August of 22, and I'm using it again this morning. I thought about changing it to follow the instructions, but that sounds a little more abrasive. Living life on purpose is a little simpler. It's some good design. So it is the third time that I've used this title, but those were different messages, different passages. (coughs) We spent four weeks prior to our vacation, looking at the book of Nehemiah and the study of Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, there was a work to be done. It wasn't a new work. It's not like it just came about that day. It's not something that just showed up. The walls had been burned down for a century. It's not something that was invisible. It's not something that was out of sight or out of mind. It was something that you could not go anywhere around the city and not see the evidence of it. The walls were burned down down. There was a pile of rubble and debris. The the gates were burned with fire. The houses were destroyed. You you had things that that were were torn down. The reality is the people had gotten used to looking at it. We went. The staff and I went to a training course, a leadership training conference. Been, I guess, a couple years ago now. Close to it. And and in that training conference, they called it fish smells. You know, things you get used to smelling, and you really don't even know it's there. But let somebody else come around and like, whoo. What does that smell? Well, it's the same thing with things that we see. Our our altar is a perfect example. The carpet is worn thin. There's holes nearly in it. It looks terrible. On the one hand, it's a compliment to the children of God of the the work that's been done in this altar on your knees before God. And on the one hand, I I would hate to replace it, but it shows the evidence, Not, not just where the Mountain Dew came running down and somebody spilled their Pepsi, but the evidence of tears. The evidence of where, where people have cried, but, but there are a lot of things that stack up and we leave trash and debris and things around. And we become accustomed to them. They're like fish meals, but then a, a visitor comes and, and sees them. and they're like, man, some of that stuff needs to be cleaned up. Well, that's kind of what you have at Jerusalem. I mean, the, the destruction is still present. Everything has been torn down. It's not that they like it. It's not like it's beautiful. It's not some, some pleasant memory that they have. It's not anything that is comforting. As a matter of fact, the, the, the Bible calls it a reproach. But yet the people had become accustomed to living that way. All it took to make a difference was for somebody to start a movement. All it took was for somebody to, to, to bring in and, and set the people's minds to getting together and doing something about it. For a group of people to come together and do the work. Our text simply says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. It does not matter. Whatever it is, do it with thy might. No work, no device, no knowledge, no wisdom. Nothing can be done in the grave, whither thou goest. Now is the time. Now is the time that we have to make a difference. Right now the world is as dark as I have ever known it. And we are to be the light of the world. The only hope this world has rests in our story the only hope we had rested in the name of Jesus Christ and the only hope that world's got rests in the name of Jesus Christ. And God said that we're to be the light of the world. You know, man church that we started and we'll kick back up here in a couple of weeks soon as the ladies finished yours on prayer. But, but, but the whole focus, focus of, of man church is the importance of, of being disciples. Is that we're to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Something that was pointed out in that first week that he talked a good bit about was the difference in terms between Christians and disciples. He pointed out that Christians, the word Christian, actually Christian is used twice in the book of Acts. Christians is used once. So you have twice in Acts and once in 1 Peter. That's the only time you find the Bible use the word Christian it simply means to be a follower of Christ and that's how they got it we were first called Christians at Antioch they were called that because they were followers of Christ but in today's world to be honest to be a a Christian has become honestly not a lot more than some cute little slogan some cute little something we can attach our name to and, and, and define ourselves as a Christian or I identify ourselves as a Christian because we go to church sometime or maybe most of the time or we at least associate ourselves with the church and so we, we identify ourselves as a Christian. But can I tell you in this day of casual Christianity, there are a lot of people who are identifying themselves as Christian and there is no mark of Jesus Christ on their life. We live in a world that don't mind identifying a Christian or identifying themselves as a Christian, but there's nothing in their life that, that resembles the life of Christ. Now, the word disciple is used 273 times in the New Testament. It means to be a learner, it is to be a pupil. Can I tell you, you can't learn if you don't study? A pupil is a student. And a student is there to learn. Students, you're not there to pass. You're there to learn. College students, you're not there to pass. Listen, your doctor, your doctor, medical doctor, he went to school. Do you hope that he went there to learn or to pass? I hope the doctor went there to learn. I hope he learned some stuff. He, he read some books to learn. He educated himself to learn to make him a better doctor. We are to be pupils, students, disciples of Jesus Christ, to read, to learn. We are to learn how to be followers of Jesus Christ. We will never accidentally become a disciple. We're, we're going to have to choose to live life on purpose. We, we look at our own life. You know, life's all about choices. Paul talked about it a couple of weeks ago in his message there from 2nd King. He talked about choices and, and he put one thing out there. He said, Moms and dads, don't, don't have drinks in your house that don't belong in your house. Anybody here two weeks ago know what I'm talking about? Y'all don't throw rocks up here. I'm just repeating what he said. Don't have stuff in your house that don't belong in your house. And tell your children, don't drink that. Now, you're not old enough for that. Now, you leave that alone. You keep your hands off. That's not for you. He, He said, don't have stuff in your house. Tell your children to leave it alone. And then fuss at them when they got a DUI at 16 years old. They learned it from you. He he said, you set the standard. Don't set a standard and then scold them for the standard that that you set. Paul said it. Paul said it. The truth is we make choices. And our choices don't just affect our life. Our choices affect the lives of those around us, especially our families. Especially those that, that we're closest to. Life is simply a series of choices that never ends. Every day we make choices. You made a choice to be here this morning. Good choice. You you made a a, a choice. You made a choice what to wear. You made a choice what to eat. We make choices every single day. Where we go, what we do, who, who we associate with. Things we do right. Things we do wrong. They're all a result of the choices that we make. But if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If we're going to live a Christian life and be the light that Jesus said. Listen, Jesus said when he was here, I am the light of the world, right? Amen. If we follow him, then we don't walk in darkness. But when he left, who became the light of the world? Ye are the light of the world. He left us here to be a light. That means shine his light. We can't shine his light if we're not living his life. He he said that we're to be the salt of the earth. He said if the salt has lost its savor, what good is it? But to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. It is worthless if it has no flavor. And a Christian or or anyone who claims to be a Christian. Who does not read this book and spend time in prayer. Cannot have any flavor. If If we are indeed a disciple of Jesus Christ. When we walk into a room. Things ought to change. Dirty jokes ought to stop. Language ought to clean up somewhat out of any respect at all because when a light comes into a dark room, darkness is expelled. Darkness cannot stay in the presence of light. Our very presence ought to change things. There ought to be something different about us. To live life on purpose, we have to learn to make good choices. I've got to back up and get one for your bulletin donor. To live life on purpose is that we're going to have to learn how to live life on purpose because good choices are not an accident. Good choices are not an accident. Neither are bad ones. No matter what choice we make, those aren't accidents. To live life on purpose, we have to learn to make good choices. And good choices are only those choices that are guided by the word of God. I put a little, y'all know I'm not the social media guru. And for right reasons, I would just really mess things up. But I stepped out and gave my best effort and put y'all one out. What did I put that on, Robin? What do I have? Instagram. Because I love the quote. I said, I'm going to put it out. So I have it for Sunday. But this is just reality. This is reality. There is not one single scripture in the entire word of God that even remotely suggest that that you can be a Christian and live any way you want to live. Not, Not even remotely suggest that you can live outside of the will of God. Not even remotely suggest that you can make your own decisions and do your things the world's way. Not even remotely suggest that we can live life any way we want to. When Jesus becomes Lord of our life, he becomes master of our lives. He expects a complete surrender, surrender of our will, surrender of the mind, surrender of the heart, surrender of the soul. We are to give everything and he expects everything that we do to be in accordance with his will, his plan. Here, can can I tell you God has a plan for your life? A perfectly devised, perfectly laid out plan For your life. Your life. It doesn't involve anybody else. God didn't include you. You're not thrown into the pool. You're not thrown into a pot. You're you're not just some generic cosmic accident. You are put here, allowed here on purpose by God for a specific plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. And the only way to find that plan is to spend time with the one who has the plan. And the only way to live that life is to listen to the planner and do what he says do. So, so we're to, to follow God's purpose. He expects us to do everything according to his will and to do our best with everything we do. And we, we talked, when we were looking at Nehemiah, we talked about the enemy a lot. Because the enemy is ever-present. Anybody say amen? He'll never give up. He'll never quit. He'll never stop trying to make your life miserable. And and God allows him to put things in, but it's okay. God is greater. God is greater. Just tell the mountain how big your God is, and it's got to get out of the way. The mountains be cast into the sea. God is greater. But the enemy never gives up. The enemy will always offer you alternate choices. Oh, somebody's going to need to hear it. He will always offer you things that are appealing to the eye and desiring to the flesh oh yeah you ain't the only one that battles that you and i may be the only two but i promise you you got one friend in the battle you got one the enemy will always offer you things that are appealing to the eye and they're attractive to the flesh till the flesh just keeps pulling nature just keeps dragging things just keep trying to pull you back and the enemy just keeps Pouring things in. You know why he does what he does. You know how? Because he knows you. The enemy's got a record of you. He knows what you've looked at, what you've talked about, what you've said, things you've done. The enemy knows you better than you. He knows weaknesses you think you've forgotten about. And what he's going to offer you is what is attractive to you. He's not going to come by with something that don't matter to you. He comes by with things that are most attractive. Why would God allow the devil to do that? Why would God allow the devil to tempt me with things that he knows are desires of the flesh and pleasing to the eyes? Why would he allow it? Because God wants me to choose him over that. God didn't force me into salvation. He offered me salvation. God's not going to force me into living his life. He is going to offer me the opportunity to live his life. And he's going to pour out blessings when we do. He allows the enemy to bring these things in. Because God wants us to choose his will over our will. His way over our way. He, the, the things that he desires are over the things of the world. Jesus told us, Matthew chapter 16, He gave us instructions on how to be a disciple. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Whosoever loses life for my sake shall find it. What does a man profit if he shall gain the whole world? And lose his own soul. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse number 27. The Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. And then... Then he shall reward every man. You got it up there? According to his works. Matthew 16, 27. The son of man shall come in his glory of his father with his angels. And then he shall reward every man according to his works. Jesus expects that all of our works be performed in his name for his good for his glory, for his honor, that, that we do what he wants us to do and the word of God instructions that if any man wants to enter into the kingdom of God, he's to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not part time, not part way. All the time, all the way. You either in or you're not. There, there is no, no, no part time. There's no such thing as part of my life for him. Part of my life for me. Part of my day for him, part of my day for me. Part part of my week for him, part of my week for me. I'm I'm not sure we're making a connection. I'll read my Bible in the morning when I get up. That's his time. The rest of my day belongs to me. I'll pray in the morning when I get up. I'll pray when I'm driving to work. I'll pray when I'm in the car. I, I'm, somebody must be praying because y'all sure ain't paying attention where y'all are driving. I will pray on the way home. That, that's God's time. But the rest of my day belongs to me. I, I'll go to church on Sunday morning most of the time. That's God's time. But, but the rest of my week belongs to me maybe even I'll go to church. Here's reality. I'll go to church on Sunday morning and I'll even go on Wednesday night. And that belongs to God. But Friday and Saturday night belongs to me. The other three days, we'll just play it by ear. See, there is no such thing as part his time, part our time. We're either in the will of God or we're not in the will of God. This is not a disciple of Jesus Christ to pick and choose, nor is it to be a Christian. To be a disciple or to be a Christian, to be a child of God, a follower of Christ, we must choose to follow Christ all day, every day. Quiet up in here on Sunday morning. We have to be all in all the time. There is no such thing as a 50% reward for 50% effort. There is a 10,000 fold reward for 100% effort and there is a punishment for 0% effort. God doesn't, listen, matter of fact, what he calls it is the lukewarm church. I would rather you be hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. God says, I don't want anything to do with the half-hearted. You're either mine or you're not. You're either in or you're out. Here's your one for your bulletin. I had to put these on there. I forget to give them to you. When you become a follower of Christ, every bridge behind you must be burned. When you become a follower of Christ, of Jesus Christ, every bridge behind you must be burned, with no thought of ever turning back. Fully committed, with no retreat possible. What did Jesus say? Any man having to put his hand to the plow and look back is not fit for the kingdom of God. That there can't be a retreat. There can't be a plan B. It's all in for His glory. Billy Graham said. When you've determined that you're renouncing sin, forsaking sin, and yielding all to Christ, you've taken another step towards peace with God. Isaiah chapter 16, God spoke through his prophet. Isaiah chapter 1, I'm sorry. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 16, God said, wash you, make you clean, Put away the evil doings from before mine eyes. God's talks to you, says, don't do evil things in front of me. Remember, God can see everything you do. You're getting away with nothing. Just because somebody around you doesn't know what you're doing, God does. And God says, don't try to sneak around. My eyes are ever present. I see everything. I know all things. He says, put away your evil doings from before mine eyes. And then he says this, cease to do evil. That's a choice. Cease to do evil. But, but the first four words. Uh, this, this is. I left this blank in your bulletin. I want you to write this. Chapter 1 verse 17. Book of Isaiah. First four words. God says. Learn to do well. Learn to do well. See it's not natural. It doesn't come easy. To do well. Listen. Somebody pulls out right in front of me with nothing behind me. I got to slam on the brakes. You go 150 feet and stop to make a left-hand turn for somebody coming a half a mile down the road. It's not my natural instinct for pray to God, pour blessings out on your life. It's it's not my natural instincts for God. you know how much I love them? When you just open the windows of heaven and pour out a pile of concrete and burn them right there where they are. Now that's natural. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It doesn't come easy. It probably would if it wasn't for us. We're people. And things would probably be easy if it wasn't for people. But we're just all up in each other's business. We're just all up in each other's way. It doesn't come easy. It doesn't come natural to the flesh. So God said, "I know that. I get that. That's why I gave you a book to help you so you can learn to do well. That, that, that's what He says in, in the text. Just just learn. You, you know what? We've all made some mistakes. It's OK. We've all made some bad choices. Anybody say amen. Don't leave me by myself. We've all made some bad choices. It's okay. We can't go back and change them. But it's okay. We don't have to. We can walk into the throne room of grace where we might obtain mercy and say, Father, forgive me. I have messed up. And he says, done. Done separated as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again, cast into the sea of forgetfulness, washed away, all things passed away, Behold, all things become new. All you have to do is take take mistake into the throne room of God and say, Father, I'm sorry, and he cleanses it. But you can't walk into the throne room and ask God to forgive you for something that you know you're going to go do again. We we can't walk into the throne room and ask for forgiveness and then make the same mistakes again. We we are to learn from our mistakes. Learn from the things we did wrong. Learn from bad choices. Learn from wrong decisions. Learn to do well. Now, God said learn. so, So, you know, sometimes failure is part of the learning process. Paul Hutchins says all the time, failure is an option. It's a quite viable option. I wish it didn't come around so often. But but we are to learn through our failures. We can't stay down and we can't keep repeating the failures. We have to learn to overcome failures. How do you learn? Through the scriptures. How, How can we learn to do well? Well, to reuse a couple of quotes that I have used before. Donald Whitney is a teacher on developing disciples. He says, no spiritual discipline is more important than the intake of God's word. That's called reading the Bible. No, no, no spiritual discipline is more important than the intake of God's word. Nothing can substitute it. There's simply no healthy Christian life apart from a steady diet of God's word. Listen, if you're doing great daily devotions, God bless you. Thank you. They're helping you. If you got some women's devotion for women, men, men, women, or men's devotions for men, and you you got co-ed devotions, it don't matter. You got Dr. Charles Stanley, Adrian Rogers, you got the Billy Graham Daily, you got Zig Ziglar. Praise God for all of it, but those are additions too. Nothing replaces this book. Nothing. Replace yeah with the devotions are easy to read so is the book you just got to talk to the author i don't understand it talk to the author and if you don't understand it he ain't ready for you to right now you ain't ready for it it's okay keep on reading but but there is no he he says there is no substitute for this book pastor george Mueller said it like this he says the vigor of our spiritual lives will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. Is the Bible our number one tool in decision making? I know I'm meddling right now. It's okay. I'm meddling on my own too. It's okay. Most of the time, the Bible and prayer becomes our last solution when we can't come up with the answer. We done tried everything else. We done tried fixing it ourselves. We, we've been down every avenue. We traveled every dirt road, hit every pothole, ended up in the dark. Now, you know what? Maybe I ought to try praying. No, we should have done that to start with. We, we, we ought to seek God's word to, to, to start with, but because the, the vigor of our spiritual lives will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. To, to learn how to do good, we must have an intake of the knowledge of good. An intake. What was that movie? Input. You mean a little robot dude? Input. Need more input. What was that? Huh? Short circuit. Is that what it was? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Input. Oh, just shuffle through that book. Don't you wish you could be like him, beep, and have it all in there? I read it over and over and over. I'm like, what did I just read? But it's okay. Keep reading it. What what we needed is more input to. Well, I got, I keep, I'm going on, I'm on to wind up leaving one out of you, bulletin. To learn to do good, we must have an intake of the knowledge of good, and that is the reading of God's Word. To sustain what we've learned, we must have a communication with the author. There is simply no successful Christian life outside of prayer. There has to be reading the Bible. There has to be prayer. Tim Kerr says, the hardest thing about prayer is the small gap between thinking about praying And actually praying. Anybody understand that? Anybody know what that's talking about? That's like. He took that right out of my book. The the hardest. The hardest. Tim where you at? Come on up brother. If you don't mind. Come on up here to the piano. The hardest thing about prayer. Is the small gap between thinking about praying. And actually praying. The hardest part is to just start praying. So just start. You know every, every one of us. Every one of us in here, live stream, wherever. Every, every one of us, we, we face three facts about life. And, and they all depend on choices. For every one of us. Saved or lost. Saved yesterday, saved this morning, saved 40 years ago. is all the same. We all have a past filled with sin. We all... Have a past filled with sin. Number two. The present is determined by the choices we've made. We are where we are right now. As a result of the choices that we've made to get us here. Good or bad. Right or wrong. No matter what's going on in our life. Everything is a result of the choices that got us to here. But. Number three. The future is determined by the choices we make today if we want to live a better life all we have to do is learn how to make better choices it's not as complicated as we make it the only way to make better choices is to have a better intake of information the only way to make better choices is to have a better instructor guiding each choice a better conversation Read the Bible, that is input, that is intake. Spend time with God through the Holy Spirit. That that is communication. So if we want to be a better person, a better Christian, a better disciple, whatever tag we want to put right there, if we want to be a better follower of Christ, all we have to do is make better choices. We have to choose to live life on purpose. We don't accidentally choose anything. Everything we do is purposed by the heart. It comes from choices. So we must choose to read this book every day. And we must choose to pray. And we must choose to let God guide every decision that we make. So if we're, if we're putting good information in. And we're communicating with, with the author of the book. The the Savior of our souls, the Redeemer of our lives, the Creator of all things, the one that owns the cattle of a thousand hills, the one that has all answers, all solutions, everything that we need. If we're reading His book and we are communicating with Him, then He's the one giving the instructions. All we have to do is follow the instructions. See when I started to change the title? That's all we have to do. Follow the instructions. It's not that hard unless you're a knucklehead like me that opens a book and the instructions are always on top of everything you open and the first thing you do is go. And you start unpacking stuff. And you start putting together. And then when you're almost done and you've got three or four pieces left and you're like, I can't figure out where they go. And you've wasted an hour and a half. You finally go, all right, gummit. Anybody make you mad, go back and pick the instructions out of trash? Where's that piece at? Oh, are you kidding me? That's like the second piece I was supposed to put on. And this thing ain't going to work unless I take it all back apart. And do it all... Most of the messes that we've gotten into in our life, most of the junk, most of the garbage, most of the mistakes, most of the things we've done would have been easily solved if we'd have just read the instructions and followed it. We didn't follow the instruction and we found ourselves in this mess and now we got to go back through all this to get back and, and you're never going to heal some of the mistakes that you made. You're never going to mend some of the broken hearts that you broke. And all we had to do See, it's really not that hard. Unless you're a knucklehead like me that throws the instructions away to start with. It's really not that hard if we just follow the instructions. See, here, here, here's reality. In, anybody, anybody ever, I don't know, it's real. You, 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 you compare yourself to others or you, see, See, here's, here's what people are good at. Well, God, I may, not have, I may not have been there and done this, done that, but at least I ain't like so-and-so. You know, kind of like the man that prayed. At least I ain't like him. I read my Bible twice a day. I fast often. You need not tell God what you do. He already knows. What you need to come to him is confess the sin because he knows that too. And so reality, we we compare ourselves to people. If we need a little pat on the back, we need a little comfort, we just find somebody that don't look like they're doing so well. I mean, God, you bless blessing my neighbor. He ain't going to go to church. They party, keep me up all Saturday night. you blessing them. I do better than them. God don't need your help on that stuff. God knows what he's doing in your life and knows what he's doing in theirs. See, I don't have to be better than you. And you don't have to be better than me. You don't have to be better than anybody. There's only one person that you have to be better than. And that's the person you were yesterday. See, I don't have to to be closer to God and to walk closer with God. The only person I have to be better than is the person I was yesterday. And if I do that each day, even in micro measurements, I'm getting closer to God each day. And there's only two ways I'm gonna do that. One, two. Read, pray. That's our answer. That's our solution. Jesus, Jesus said we'd be a light. We can't be a light if we're not spending time in the light. If we're not, if we're not getting our batteries charged, you know, it don't matter what your best rechargeable q beam is. If you don't charge it up, it's not gonna be much good for long, is it? Everything has to come back to the source. Everything has to be plugged in. Everything has to charge. And this this is the charger. This is the thing that keeps our light shining bright. I've asked, I've asked Tim to lead us in a song. I want to ask you guys to stand. This song simply says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. It's an old song. Probably come out of an old red hymn book, didn't it, Tim? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like it should have. It's been around a long time. But, but here's the reality. I want us to do a couple things. One, I want us to debate that. I have decided to follow Jesus. I mean, in reality, have we? That, that is evidenced by the choices that we make. It really is. We can see whether or not we've truly decided that by how we make choices, how we live our life. So, so I want us to pray and, and ask God to help us not just sing that, but live that. Help, help us be followers. Anybody need help besides me? I need help. I need help to, to be the kind of person Jesus wants me to be and to live the kind of life. But I, I, I want us to, to pray for something else. In Psalms chapter 122, the first verse. The first verse says, "I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord." That was Old Testament temple. Somebody tell me what is the New Testament temple? We, we are the New Testament temple. I don't want, I don't want to create a dirty temple for my Lord to live in. I want to surrender the temple and let the Holy Spirit come in and clean the temple out so that it be pure and holy. But I I want us to do one more, and I don't want us to do it because it promises a blessing to us, although it does. I want us to do it because it promises a blessing to them. Chapter 122, Psalms, verse number 6. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. What God said, if you're on Jerusalem's side, you're on my side. If you're on the side of Israel, you're on the side of God. Stand with my people and I'll stand with you. Israel needs our prayer. Israel needs our prayer. So I want us, if we would, we're going to sing this song. We take some time at the altar and pray to... God, help me fulfill that. I've decided. Can we take time and pray for Israel, for protection, for healing, for guidance, for wisdom, for strength? Pray for our own nation, that those knuckleheads up there at the top would stand beside Israel. Because God can't bless a nation that doesn't stand with his own. Amen.